Everybody, welcome back to the Combat Chain. I'm your host Patrick Shaw, and with me, as always, is my stalwart co-host Adam Philipchuk. Adam, how are you doing? Doing good, Pat. Uh, it's good to be good to be back. How are you? Uh, I am doing. You know, I'm doing. I'm doing. It's a day. It's a day. I'm a dad. I'm busy. Work is. You know, work is work. Uh, I feel like I'm burning the candle a little bit on both ends uh trying to get some some fab in lately so i definitely can feel it um i bet you're you're feeling it a little bit uh we have not had a chance to talk about the fact that you went to las vegas yeah participated in the world premiere event yeah last time we spoke on this platform i uh, it was it was uh, the the Wednesday before the world premiere. Uh, I was in Vegas at the time, kind of hunkering down, getting ready for things to kick off. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, glad to be back. Since then, played on a bunch of pre-releases. Got to hit up four pre-releases uh, back in my local scene. Uh, so I was pretty lucky with that, uh, just to have that much action going on. Yeah, Did you say been... four pre-releases? Yeah, uh, if you think I, I've I've played uh, between Vegas and um, pre-release, I've played Uprising Limited six times now. I think already. You don't even need to buy the singles. You're just good to go at this point. I've got a decent stack of uh, of commons and rares at this point, uh, starting to accumulate some M's. Uh, definitely, uh, I did not pull a single. I'm oh geez. How many packs in am I? Uh, I can't. I'd have to. I'll do the math while while you're chatting there in a little bit, uh, and, and we'll we'll get back to that. Uh, but anyway, I haven't pulled a single L, so I. Yeah, I mean it. It is what it is. I've come like, I've seen. I've seen L's pulled like right next to me. I've seen an F. A uh, do like in in my last pre-release uh a dude pulled in his pool uh the cold foil so i i can con- even though the website says that cold foil coronet doesn't exist i can confirm it does i've seen it uh that oh, is an uh-huh. error on uh lss's part that they have to update um so a dude pulled the cold foil uh coronet uh, I think I'm saying that right. And uh, an RF uh, Blood of the Drakai in uh, in his pool. Uh, so there's been a lot of fire near and around me, but uh, I have yet to see some of that fire. Well, I, I guess that's not totally true. I so I I, I guess the the notable uh, hits. Uh, I have uh, Cold Foil quelling robe uh one of the cold foil ashes not the marvel one just the regular one and uh, mm-hmm. uh i pulled a, a cold foil marvel of the necria dragon excellent that's a spicy one i like the art uh on the extended yeah art the, the marvel necria the the cold foil is pretty spicy for that one so that's uh that's pretty cool so tell me, tell me more about Vegas. So you, when we when we talked, like you said, you were you were there. You were just getting acclimated, uh, and then uh, uh, tell me tell me about the world premiere event itself. 
Uh, world premiere was super cool. Uh, to you know, get a chance to sit down uh, firsthand, uh, start playing with some of the cards, seeing some of the new mechanics, uh, feeling things out. You know, it's one thing to, for me at least, it's one thing to read the card. It's another thing to play with the cards. Um, certainly, as the, the more I play this game, my my, my ability to pick up the, the the game is is speeding up. Like I, I noticed, I felt a lot less overwhelmed this time than I did at the Tales World premiere. Uh, certainly a lot of like the, the weird damage triggers in that set, uh, certainly had me feeling a little in over my head at first. Uh, Mm -hmm. there was a moment there I was like, man, this is so confusing now. I don't know if I like flesh and blood anymore. And then, you know, after a little bit of repetition, (laughs) it was, it was fine. Well, lightning does what with arcane? Mark of the Mark of Lightning with Ball Lightning does what times what what it was painful. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I played Icelander at the world premiere. Uh, I had a decent pool of blues. Uh, was able to go four and two. Um, Not with, bad. Yeah, yeah. It was it was decent. Um, the game, you know, I, I had one game into into a five where I just had no agency. I couldn't get my fuse card, and that's one thing. Like uh, Iceland, I, I have found so far, Icelander is easier to pull off in limited than I expected her to be. Uh, but mm-hmm. you, you do need the fuse cards, and you do need the blues. Yeah. Like that's that's the reality. Yeah. And in that game, I, I think I even won the dice roll and uh, uh got to go first but i just i didn't hit the cards i needed off the draw didn't get an impactful mm-hmm. arsenal right off the bat couldn't fuse and it just yeah he he ran away with the game pretty quickly uh and then uh near the end i had a interesting experience into uh a dromai uh when i say interesting uh i had a an, an unfortunate judge call uh, i was playing a card uh called uh, strategic planning and uh, strategic planning reads uh, at the beginning of your end step you may draw a card uh or draw a card i don't know if it's a may trigger uh anyway uh and so i went to draw the card uh and then i went to arsenal said card because like i said it's at the beginning of end step is the is the trigger and immediately the opponent was like let me see that card nope that's wrong judge and the judge came over and read the card and that my opponent explained the situation and the judge was like yeah you've missed your opportunity to arsenal this i was like what do you what what do you mean like this clearly says at yeah this clearly says at the beginning of end step arsenaling happens during the end step like am i am i i I said those exact things to the judge i'm like am i missing something here and the judge the judge went and pulled up the comprehensive rules and like quickly flashed them in front of me like the 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 thing where it's it was actually funny because like after that interaction i was so dumbfounded at the time i'd never been in a judge call where like it gone wrong like that before uh the, the correct thing that i that i was supposed to do at the time was actually appeal now thankfully it wasn't a competitive event it was a casual event like i what maybe at most i missed out of a pack of i was i had already lost a game at that point so i wasn't in the running for a box and i you know at, at most i lost out of a pack being maybe 5-1 so it's not the end of the world in a uh casual event but i was so dumbfounded at the time that i like i was like is this happening like am i am i mistaken and uh i i didn't appeal like i should have and 
Yeah. Uh, I ended up going doing all this research afterwards. I, I looked at the release notes, and sure enough, the release notes even for strategic planning say, like, uh, talk about the card drawn and how you may arsenal it. And I went and looked at the comprehensive rules that he flashed at me, which clearly show that I was able to arsenal that card. And I was, um, yeah. Uh, there and there was a lot of interesting judge calls that came out of Vegas. Uh, I know. Uh, shout out to Outcast Haven uh, Pod. Uh, they uh, uh, they talked about this too. Like there there was some interesting judge calls. Uh, two more that I really want to talk about are uh, uh, there was uh, two people that I know of that had were playing Kano and had I, Eyes of Aphidia in their deck, and uh, they got deck checked. Uh, one, I think, was in the top four. The other one, I'm not certain if they were in why they got deck checked, but uh, because of the eye being the only foil in the deck, they ended up uh, getting disqualified from the events for having marked cards. And once again, it's like, well, that's that card's only available in foil. What else are you, are, are you supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, after you know, looking into things a little bit, and uh, uh, the the correct thing to do again is to at the beginning, of, you know, if you're concerned about a, a potential marked card in your deck, and especially if it's one that's not available in uh non-foil like a, a fable you know i is is played in kano that's a reality um the, the the play is to go at the beginning of the event and see you know try to see the head judge or a judge at the minimum from from the event and, and talk to them about this and they should be able to issue you a a a proxy um yeah like i said especially if it's if it's a card that's only available in in foil so let's let's talk about that a little bit um are they saying that um because the eye was a foil they were easily it was easily identified in the deck and thus a marked card or are they saying now that if you have one foil amongst 39 non-foils you have a marked card no matter what. No, they were saying in this case that it was these cards were easily identifiable, and that was the issue. Uh, they were, they had, they they were able to. Uh, I I guess in in those situate in that particular situation, they were able to cut to the card multiple times, uh, or within like the the one situation that Outcast Haven had specifically spoken about was, and they they had actually they they. They they were able to cite their sources and they had actually done the the uh the the right digging on this one. They they had found out that the ju- the interaction between the judge and the player in question was the 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 judge had um cut the deck multiple times and each time was able to cut within like three or five cards of the fable and thus was always able to find the fable within a couple cards now apparently in the rules it states that if you're able to cut uh if you if you can cut to that card repeatedly with ease then it's of concern but it doesn't state being able to cut to within a couple cards of the card like there's a difference Mm -hmm. 
So disqualifying them immediately for... Um, yeah, the disqualification seems a little heavy, but I guess it's, I, I have, I have, uh, I did not listen to Outcast Haven's podcast yet, but I have seen some conversation uh, since, since Vegas about rules and fractions and judge calls and then the, the marked card conversation. I believe it's because there is a, because there's a single foil in the deck that is clearly uh a marked card there is no other way to look at it other uh, as anything other than uh like a pattern in which to identify it so by like the rules of where by the rules of the marked cards in in flesh and blood it's considered a like an automatic disqualification it like above a normal marked card scenario where you might get a warning and like resleeve yeah, that's exactly what it comes down to. And even like the in, in the case that Outcast Haven was talking about, like the, I guess the interaction between the judge and the the player was that uh, even the judge was like, I know you're not trying to be malicious, but this is just what the rules state I have to do. Like you're unfortunately disqualified. That's just the reality. Yeah. Which then I Outcast Haven, they uh they they did talk about the idea of like how much agency do the judges have? Like, are are the judges held to the letter of the law, or are, is there room for interpretation? Like, there's a lot of like a lot of like the the rules in Flesh and Blood talk about a lot of things have to be assumed that they were done in good good will, like that. Right, right. People aren't deliberately trying to be malicious, but then the rules are very exact about like, well, if this is what happened, then you have to give them an IP penalty or you have to disqualify them without, without like room for consideration or, you know, you can't, you can't factor in what's you, you have to follow the letter of the law. And that, that part's like a little bit like, well, I think there is sometimes where judges should be allowed to use their discretion as well. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I do think. Um, I, I I know that LSS just recently released an updated uh, ruling judge uh, competition enforcement level uh, guide that allows for. Um, uh, different tiers there, there i believe there's uh casual uh competitive and then professional level uh enforcement at this point and uh at the casual level it does have language now that says that i believe tos and judges at the casual level can um act within the spirit of the competition as opposed to the letter of the law and i think that's something that especially in a, in a situation like that the, the, people would have to consider there, right? Like, is the spirit of the competition that of uh, ha- just forcing people to be DQ'd over a, a non-malicious, uh, you know, thing that... And honestly, like, we've all been there, right? We Like, we all have foils in our decks. It's like one of the things, right? Especially if you have that fabled, it's there. Can't, like... Well, I mean, I was playing Kano that weekend uh, in the Team Blitz event. Uh, I had an eye in my deck. The eye was the only foil mm-hmm. in my deck. If I had gotten Judge called based off of the, the right. trend that weekend, I would our team would have been disqualified. Now, do you feel... Um, 
do you feel like you would have been able to catch the foil? Um, for the most part, no. Every once in a while, like I'll I'll be cut, you know, shuffling or cutting it, and like mm-hmm. I'll I'll draw a card, and it'll be like before I go to draw it, I'll like feel it in my hand, and I'll be like, oh shoot, that's mm-hmm. the eye, and then sure enough, mm-hmm. like I'll look at it, and it's the eye. And from now on, I, I am going to go, like, if next time I'm in an event, if I'm playing, I, I'm going to go see the judge, the head judge and just, like, nip it in the butt and be like, hey, I need a proxy for this. Because, like I said, they do they do have to accommodate that because it's the, you know, there there's no non-foil equivalent. If there's a non-foil equivalent and it's an issue, then you have to go get the non-foil equivalent. But, yeah, in that case, because it's... You're going to have to get your uh, black label history foreign language versions of Fables. Oh, oh, I. Uh, did I tell you? Uh, did I, hey, did I tell you? Because I know it's being printed in, in German. Is it in all foreign languages? Yes. Okay. No, I, I mean, not all. I mean, there's a lot of foreign languages. No, no, no. Sorry. Um, let me rephrase my question. Are all the foreign language prints getting Fables? Or is that just German? Do we know like it's all the languages? It is. Uh, oh boy! Because I it is, it is German, Spanish, French, Italian, and Japanese. So, but it is so because I so sorry. Let me. I maybe I need to give more context here. I saw Louis made a post on Twitter uh, about. Uh, the, the German printing of, uh, of black label history pack one, we know for sure has the fable in it or has the three fables in it. I believe, um, the three being, I, 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 well, heart, I, and I assume shard and their foil. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a safe assumption. And, and, yes. and their foil. So what I'm asking is, do we know for sure that every language has the fo- the fables in them? The, the, uh, on FabDB, the fable for both the um, heart and now the eye that I'm looking at has a listing for the English, German, Spanish, French, Italian. Oh, that's and so exciting! Japanese okay. version. So the part of the reason I'm asking about this. So I I, I made a spicy pre order for while I'm in in uh, Lee, in France. Uh, I'm actually going to an LGS in. I, I pre ordered uh, uh, LGS down there in France, in just outside of Paris. Uh, I pre ordered there some uh, uh, black label French history pack that I'm going to pick up while I'm there. And I'm very excited for it. Um, I, I want all the, you know, I I want a play set of, I I would love to try to get a play set of, of a full play set of French, uh, French history pack, you know, the full set. Sure. Sure. Uh, I have only have a case right now, Um, but the price just went down. So I might actually order a little bit more. Uh, We'll see here. Or I'm trying to decide Mm -hmm. if I want to save that money and just try to like, crack whatever i you know get and then fill out the rest with singles while i'm there maybe is is maybe the Mm -hmm. plan we'll see we'll see uh we'll see what we get and how far we can get um with that i Uh, i am very interested in uh foreign foreign fables if they're printed 
in greater quantities and are cheaper than yeah, their current I, English versions. Knowing will... that the fable is in that set makes me even more excited. Or that those fables, not the the fables, uh, it makes me very excited. There uh, are, um, I believe there's going to be country-specific uh, special cards as well. I know, and I'm so excited for that. I think that, that. that post referenced a special version of Viserai in German. I wonder if the uh, product that got sheet's a, out yet for the French. Yeah, that, that definitely got uh, some of our Runeblade enthusiast friends uh, fired up to see that there might be an alt, uh, alt Viserai coming their way. Uh, anyway uh we went on a tangent there uh vegas the premiere uh was a vegas heck of a premiere. time uh, five, are, four and two in the premiere four and two in the so premiere uh had a he- heck of a time uh with uh with icelander uh we are going to get more into the heroes a little bit later so uh i'm mm-hmm, not gonna mm-hmm. uh, that's when i'll kind of talk a little bit more about my deck and kind of my findings playing icelander um but then uh after that yeah i played in the uh team blitz event uh played with uh oliver chen and christopher ang uh oliver chen uh a uh uh top aider at uh um canadian nationals last year uh heck of a player and uh, christopher uh, ang a heck of a player as well uh we ended up going four two and one so essentially four and three uh in the day one so just barely missed uh barely just missed, missed it uh, man for day two uh so that that was a bit of a bummer These draws man it's killer yeah yeah it just came down to we we had uh oliver was on old him and uh they're they're uh you know some of the matches would go long uh sure sure that that effing deck god it just and oliver the went on the down. he 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 leaned on the fatigue side of things he's uh he's he's a pretty good fatigue yeah. player so yeah, um yeah. that uh unfortunately yeah we just do yeah oh yeah exactly and i uh no he played he played uh, a a hell uh, he he played very well all weekend. Um, but yeah, so we, we just barely missed the cut for day two, unfortunately. How did you feel about the team aspect of the calling there? Is that how, oh, it was a how blitz should be played I, 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 if you have a blitz calling? I, I, I don't know if it's the end-all, be-all way to play. Uh, I would love to see some team-limited events. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Team Sealed is a lot of fun. Uh, I've played Team Sealed a couple times now with uh, with uh, Flesh and Blood. Sounds like it would be super dangerous. And even you know what? Actually, super cool. They are doing a, a Team Sealed event for History Pack in uh, Calling Utrecht, I believe. Ooh, I think very it's exciting. Like, I think you're. I think yeah, I believe they're, so. They're, you know, it's like the the team. You get like an obscene amount of packs that you can open to make like whatever uh hero from the that that pool i think they're all token heroes so now uh, that you mention it um i believe there is a so news right uh u.s release of flesh and blood has been delayed a week so the official release is now july 1 there's events that were taking place that weekend the of the release weekend that was intended to be classic instructed in the new meta 
Um, but I believe that there, so two things are going to happen. Uh, there's a 10K in, o- in um, Ohio, I believe it is. I'm probably butchering the geography of that, but uh, it is a very high profile event. I know Brendan Pratchett's going to be there. Uh, Dalen Mack is going to be there. Um, it is growing in numbers. It is getting to be a high profile event. Um, and it will feature both No Uprising and Living Legend Starvo and Chain will be they'll be out. So for like one day only, you'll get this exact meta of no Starvo, no Chain, but before Uprising. So did they um, but did, did they specifically say that you're not allowed to bring an Uprising hero then? Or is it just that I think that I as far as I know, the official U.S. release is July 1, which means no legal cards until, or no cards oh. from Uprising will be legal until then. In I a, do know that you cannot then. even, you cannot draft Uprising as, a, as an official event before July 1. Just in the U.S. then? Uh, potentially, yeah. I don't know. How's Canada? We because as far as yeah as far as I know it's on time like my L, my local LGS is like they already I think one of them already like got their shipment or is like getting it tomorrow or yeah, today or tomorrow or something like that like as far as I know we got it all on time. Uh, that 10K is being held at the Realms game. In, uh, the Realms. Like, can I just Realm show games. up with Fi and sweep? <laughs> spike the event that would be super gross you know and ah uh, there might be an argument against that then it's uh it'd be an interesting thing if that not, happens i'm not i'm not suggesting that that's you know like that, that could be an unfair advantage at that point i'm not saying that that's the play i'm just wondering like what the ruling was uh if that is even a possibility um that is sorry very... i'm asking the tough questions over here you are you are you are um, the Realm Games Twitter says uh, we've had uh, we've heard the unfortunate news about the delay of Uprising. We are assessing all the needed announcements and changes needed for the 10K Brawl Classic, so people can adequately prepare their decks. We will post on all socials uh, as soon as possible, letting people know everything. Uh, you can still pre-register. Uh, they follow up the 10K Brawl. Brawl will be CC as planned. Uprising will not be legal. Uh, but the 5K Team Blitz event that was also scheduled that weekend will now be an Uprising Team Sealed event uh, for that uh, for that day. Um, <clears throat> I do believe that Tan and Grace and Matt uh, DeMarco, Matt Flake, is, will be... Uh, they will definitely be there. Um, as well as the Flesh Pod crew, um, but I do believe there's going to be some streaming, and uh, I do believe Tannen and Flake might be involved in the casting okay. uh, of that event. So it is it is lining up to be a pretty big deal. But you'll have you'll see Team Uprising sealed uh, in that event coming up here. All right, that's that's super. Uh, that's going to be a good one to tune into. Um, it's definitely interesting. Regardless of whether uprising cards are allowed at all or not, just to see like to see that 
that little blip of like the meta everybody wishes we could mm-hmm. have played in uh to just see a blip of it uh and just to see what comes of it is going to be super interesting all right lightning round you have a one day meta who's who's what top three decks coming in like that meta yep that exact oh, the realm God. games in ohio 10k one day only I mean, everything before Uprising minus. It's going to be likely an aggro deck or a fatigue deck that takes it. You gonna sit on the fence like that? You gonna, you gonna? Give me, give me some names. Well, I mean, like, what's what's? Let me think. What's good aggro? Uh, Dash could be okay. Um, Kano could be good. Actually, Kano. Mm-hmm. Kano, um, because you know it's very here, interesting. So, the battle harden on the Sunday of uh Vegas, I decided to play Kano because I had this theory that out of pro quest, since Kano didn't do anything, um, no one would be ready for Kano. Um, and sure enough, so I didn't do well in the battle harden, unfortunately. Um, but. In my first two rounds, I like the the rounds that matter, right? Uh, that you really need to to pull mm-hmm. it through. Well, I mean, like in in the way that battle hardened boiled down, like you could really only afford to go X and one to top eight, so every round truly mattered. Um, but um, in my first two rounds, um, I flipped over Kano, and both my opponents were like, "I'm." I, I just cut my Nelbrun. Like they're like, I'm not worried about Kano anymore again. And like <laughs> Yep. And yep. you can't you gotta respect it. I don't know how honestly I know I'm cutting you off there. I don't know how you so quick uh, the memories cannot be that short term. You ha you have to. What Kano did, if you do it right, is cut their sideboard by like three card cards across the board. If you don't, if you didn't take a couple cards out and add a couple more pieces of Null Rune, you're doing it wrong, brothers. Well, and here's it, here's the thing I'll say, um, uh, the the little hint I'll give for playing into Kano because people still don't know what they're doing into Kano. I've found, um, if you are going all out aggro, you don't want you you do not want Null Rune. Like if I can Mm-mm. get tempo you out and like start getting you to a point where you need to pitch like on a on a regular basis to yeah. prevent your and you're an aggro deck like you're probably red line like the amount of cards you're pitching to prevent that arcane like I'm so happy to see that ice Kano because now you're like doing half the stuff on your turn like you you're not if you get to that point. As an aggro deck, you're already losing the game. So, what you don't? How how do you feel as Kano if that aggro player flips over Spell Void? Ah, uh, you know, you know. Yeah. That is exactly what I was going to say. So this this is a uh, uh, this ended up being spicy Briar tech way back in the day, right? Lightning Briar Blitz uh, in Skirmish Season Two, uh, pioneered by. Hayden Dale uh, was at least publicized the list, uh, but Shock Charmer, Spellfray Cloak, and Spellfray Leggings. Spellfray equipment you can find uh, in your Monarch Precon Blitz decks, by the way. So you have to go get your Monarch Precon Blitz decks to get your Spellfray Cloaks unless you're uh, shopping them uh, on TCG Player. But 
Shock Charmer, Spellfire Cloak, uh, cloak and Spellfly Leggings float. ended up. <laughs> yeah, Spellfire Cloak. <laughs> she sells seashells uh, <laughs> by the seashore. <laughs> Words are difficult. Um, you had Spellfoid 4, which back in the day used to be enough for Kano for the one, the big one, because you didn't have either Wildfire at the time. I, you were really looking out for Sonic Boom or Lessons in Lava uh, at that point. And if you, so if you didn't want to pitch, so you, you Spellfoid, you broke everything for the one time that you could, that you could do it. And uh, uh, for a time that, that ended up working. Uh, yeah yeah and that that's the thing so it's like if you're gonna be in this position where you're gonna be overextend you're gonna have to overextend yourself because the the Kano's game plan mm-hmm. right, right now for the most part in cc is aether wildfire even in blitz yep. to some extent it's aether wildfire that's that is the win mm-hmm. con that is the game plan that is how they're pushing through insane amounts of damage uh because before it was stir forked and you know in blitz stir is is banned now uh snap packs is banned now and for actually Mm -hmm. very good reasons um i in hindsight i'm glad lss caught on to that one before it became a problem because kano would have been a very toxic deck otherwise um you know stir into I was trying, yeah, and I was trying uh, to to figure that that combo out before, but it was just it was so expensive, and I couldn't figure it out. And you know, I had to wait for somebody else to figure it out. Unfortunately, I'm a little bummed. In hindsight, uh, I wish I would have worked a little harder on it because uh, it, it that probably would have been really gross in Blitz um, to to be able to do that, or to just you know be terrorizing the meta with Aether Wildfire when nobody was suspecting of it. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, where I was going with this was if you're overextending yourself, you want Spell Void. You, you want to be able to shut down that Aether mm-hmm. Wildfire. Um, and um, the, the, the catch, though, and this is where then people go, well, I'm just going to bring in Spell Void instead. And if you're playing a slower game plan and you're going to have expendable resources, you 100% don't want to be on that Spell Void plan. Then you do want to be on the Arcane Barrier. And I think that's just that's that's the one nuance that people need to be aware of. Uh, when to run the one versus the other is really it comes down to your game plan and what you're doing with your hand. Um, bearing in mind that as when, once again, as as Kano the more arcane barrier I see, sometimes the happier I am. Now, like, don't get me wrong, a AB four, five, six are are difficult to play into, but they're not unwinnable matchups. Um when I see that kind of arcane barrier, I know I can tempo you that much harder. I know that I can now strip two cards from your hand and just shut down what you're able to do on your turn that much more. So um that 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 is the one caveat and something to be aware of um when playing into or like when when trying to figure out the balance of like what you want to be doing and how you want to respect Kano. Uh but yeah, um it, funnily enough on the Sunday I had multiple conversations with people where they were like I I I just cut my null rune again because I I I just figured there wouldn't be any Kanos again. Like people already are forgetting and um I, I'm gonna say, you know, I'm I'm saying it here that Kano's still around and Kano's still a threat. Uh, and Kano absolutely is still around. And 
no one's going to listen. Uh, people are going to continue mm-hmm. to disrespect it. Uh, I'm going to continue to play it for as long as I can because yep, <laughs> it's sure. so much fun and no one's prepared for it. I, I took down in Blitz Armory last night on it. Um, one of the guys, like I, in round three, the other XO, uh, I flip over Kano and he's like, yeah, I forgot to bring my null rune today. And I was like, oh no. Uh, and he, he told me that too late. I was like, if he told me that, like before we, pre- he presented his deck, I would have been like, you can hundred percent proxy and null rune. But like, we're like halfway through the game. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I forgot to bring my null rune. And I'm like, oh no, it's too late. I'm yeah. not going to let you proxy it now. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm taking the W. <laughs> Oh, and it was actually it was still a close match. He still got me down to two, um, and I had to do like some janky wildfire play to, and like I had to like play off the top a little bit. Like I went in for the kill one turn, and I ended up like canoing into I think an energy potion, and I was like, "Damn it!" Now I'm short resources. To, I was like one resource short to like try to kill him again that turn, so I had to like just barely like he he was like threatening lethal with dominate, and I like. I, I couldn't not block it, and all I had in hand was the Aether Wildfire, and I was like, well, if I block with this, I don't know if I'm going to find another Aether Wildfire, so I had to Ragamuffin's Hat it back on top of my deck and grab another card to block with, and then yeah. draw the Aether Wildfire Ooh. next turn and hope that I had enough yeah. resources in hand without... Because my initial plan was to Arsenal the Wildfire and then draw up a full hand and then for sure be able to kill sure. him. But mm-hmm. um, when he presented that... Uh, nourishing emptiness. That's when I had to get crafty and uh, yeah, ragamuffin's hat. Like it's just all the more yeah. reason why it's, Kano, it's a powerhouse. Kano, Kano. Ragamuffin's hat, freaking potion of deja vu. That's what Kano. I think we could spend an entire episode on how dangerous Kano is and how much I hate it. Um, we we it should is... we should do that combat chain takes on wizard at some point. Yeah, sure. I think yeah, that's a good idea. I I have played so I'm I and it the, the, the entertaining who, part of like, the episode will just be like your reaction to to all yeah, the like, stuff. This is I hate what you're doing. But we do know, right? We we know we know Kano Kano has an inevitability there, right? And you can prepare for it. But the moment if Kano has the pieces, the moment you make yourself vulnerable enough they can fire off yeah i have lost um multiple games so i've been on dory a bunch lately so i've i have faced down a bunch of kanos in that time and the only times that i felt like i was um the only times that i've actually like i've taken the l is when i have committed to i've committed every card right in my hand so i would consistently hold back a blue i'd go a b3 and keep courage on the board and consistently prevent damage over time and put myself in a very good spot uh, and still be able to swing the dawn blade a few times and uh, there's one game in in particular that i was up 31 to 2 against kano and I pitched the blue card and the moment that card hit the pitch zone, uh, they went off and they hit me for <laughs> 38. It was something, but they, they did have to top deck a little bit, but it was like wildfire into something into 
Aether Blaze into Aether Blaze. Like it was over. Blazing Aether? <laughs> yeah, yep. I love double blazing um, but Aether. But like yeah, oh, double so double good. blazing Aether is what what did me in in that game. And it was like at any moment if they're still alive, you there's just an ability to OTK somebody, which is nuts. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, I could a uh, whole episode on that and how I you know how you like to kill people with it, how I like to prevent Kano from killing me. Uh I like to think my Kano matchup is is okay just from attrition at this point, but um, so yeah, so at, so Vegas happened, and then after Vegas, uh, the pre we had just we just got over pre release weekend. Oh, you know um, what? I I did want to so just to finish recapping. So we did see out of the battle hardened. Uh, uh, that's right. I, I'm sorry. I, we got we got on such a tangent. Battle hardened won by friend of the. Exactly. That's what I wanted Chris to say. Ray. Shout out to Chris Ray. Um, heck of a job taking down the Battle Harden and uh, on Starvo, I believe. Yep. Bit the bullet, bit the crayons, just went for the W, got the PTI. Did yep. what he had to do. That's not home. his first PTI either, so good for him. The man's, the man, uh, the man's on a mission. He's I, a machine. Chris, Chris Ray is a very good flesh and blood player. And he is always floating around the top uh, of every tournament that he participates in. He's just a dangerous. He's one of those. If 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 this was like a physical sport, he'd be you know he'd be the opponent you never want to see because you know it's going to be like a beat him up tough tough game. You know you're you're going to get you're not going to leave unscathed. That is that is Chris Ray in Flesh and Blood. You sit down across from him, you're in trouble. He's got that. He's got that low voice. He, does, he talks, talks very quiet, very humble, very, very un, unassuming. And then he just, um, here, I'm going to beat you. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's just so unassuming and just like wins it. Uh, instead. Yeah. He's just got like, that. He's just a happy smile with his glasses. And there it is. And yeah. And just whoops ass. But yeah, congratulations, Chris Ray. On the battle hard and win in Vegas. Um, yeah, so we pre-release. did have um, yeah pre-release. I feel like so pre-release. You had, I had four pre-releases. Uh, I have so many pre-releases. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm very fortunate uh, in my area neck of the woods to kind of have the the scene we do. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have a huge scene, but we just have a very dedicated local scene, uh, and everybody yeah. shows up every night of the week for the most part, and it's uh, it's a good time. That is that is fantastic. Um, how was your? Give me give me a quick snapshot of of your pre release experience. Okay, well, so I, at this point, pre release is kind of at the point where I'm like really starting to wrap my head around the set now. So like mm-hmm. if we follow chronologically, like my my uh, Adam's take on t- learning uprising. Uh mm-hmm. by the time we reach pre release, like Vegas, I was completely like, okay, how do I like what are these cards? What do they do? Then throughout the week, uh, from Vegas to pre-release, I actually found on Felt Table that they they launched the beta for um their if you're a Patreon on Felt Table, 
uh they do there's a a, a sealed uh simulator where like you generate so it's actually it's essentially like um match uh magic arena sealed generator uh generate six packs and like you can build a deck out of it the only difference is you're you're playing into the ai uh and right now because it's still in beta uh you're not playing into uprising ai you're playing into um this this is the one part all though i think the product's really well done uh, and i'll give velt table a lot of credit they've come a long way from where they were initially um the i i think just exclusively doing it even i get that you have need time to to build the uprising ai uh and I, i'm no software coder or anything like that so i can't even imagine how daunting that task is uh just limiting it to the tails uh bot i think was a bit of a an uh an undersight like when they they have uh I, I believe they have every set. Um, yeah, they've got Welcome Right There, Kin Rising, Monarch, and Tails on there. Like, I think they should have made it a rotation of all the heroes. Because sometimes playing Droma, you just get caught playing into Old Him over and over again. And just like Old Him pops everything. And it's not a realistic experience of what the Uprising Limited experience might be. And I think if they just made it like broader, like, you know, maybe you get to play into Dash or you get to play into Viscerai or something like that. Uh could have been a better, um more well rounded learning experience. But despite that, um it was still I, I spent the week on on Felt Table and it was a great way to kinda learn the set a little bit more and just kinda learn what the cards do and what a good deck might look like for each hero. Um sure you're not getting the same depth of gameplay that you'd get out of playing into a real live human but you still get to know whether your deck works and kind of does things because like if you build this atrocious deck like it's just it's even into an ai you're gonna lose uh especially with the model that felt table is kind of built and yeah at, at this point so i will i will say losing on felt table is a very good barometer of where you're uh, as a baseline for your yeah. deck if it you're losing on Felt Table, you're you know you need to you you, you got to figure something out. You know either your game plan's off or you're you know you're not doing something right or or you know they're they're like I said maybe you're playing Dromai and Old Him and I did find that that is an unwinnable matchup <laughs> for Dromai um, or a near unwinnable matchup. There was one or two I was able to pull out, but they were very um, very difficult and very <laughs> narrow wins. Um, yeah, felt table is it's it's way better than just goldfishing. Uh, anybody who is like, oh, I just like goldfish the deck, and I was able to like magical Christmas land do this. It's it's not realistic. Uh, felt table at least gives you an opponent and makes it makes it interactive, and I think you know makes it more realistic from the sense of like you're getting pressured by your opponent. Um, yeah. Uh, shout out to those guys they're doing a, a phenomenal job i'm excited to see what the future of felt table looks like i know there's also the the flesh and blood online portal uh, i don't know if that one has an ai in it or if it's just an ability it just allows people to play against each other um but between felt table and the flesh and blood online crew uh you know to, to th- those are probably the closest we have to like 
people trying to take on a a portal or client for flesh and blood and uh i'm excited to see where the future i i know james white intends for flesh and blood to be played in the flesh and blood and i appreciate playing in the flesh and blood but to some extent you know like simulate or limited generators or simulators or things like that um they're important to like practicing and like figuring out things and because of that i'm excited to see where where these tools will go um and and how good they'll get over time absolutely i tts is is like a staple in any solid play test like you just you just gotta do it yeah tts is is... sorry go ahead yeah yeah no i i uh tts um uh, yeah, a, a TTS like, it is. I think it is one of those. It's one of those tools that is, I believe, speeding up that evolution through an online client. It, like it's not an officially supported one by LSS, but people are right. Its use is increasing specifically through Flesh and Blood. I'm curious. I I I always think Flesh and Blood is like a little bigger than it probably really is. I'm curious to know if like. The like TTS has gotten like a bump from flesh and blood players or like a noticeable increase in usage or whatever um, <laughs> through flesh and blood testing. I'm very curious about that, but I do know a lot of people play like even commander is probably likely more popular at that point. Um, they do do that. Um, uh, they do do that as well. You just said do do twice. I did. I did. It's terrible. Please edit <laughs> that as well. Just cut, just cut that sentence out. Um, T, yeah, the that, TTS is used widely in flesh and blood. Yeah, <laughs> do 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 do. Um, or I'm just gonna they, leave it in. We'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling tomorrow oh, morning. Yeah, this is just how nature to, how nature intended. Um. So, uh, four pre-releases for Icelanders. No. Um, what did we do? We did Fi. There was once was Fi. Once was for sure Icelander. Another time was for sure Fi. It was either yeah, it was two Icelander, two Fi. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I I never really had the Dromai pool, or yeah. Um, yeah. I I had some. I I, I had some good draconic pools. But the mm-hmm. draconic pools I had always pulled me into ninja over illusionist, so that's why I just never ended up on dromai. I think you, I think to in sealed to end up on dromai, you really have to have a good, a good dromai pool. Um, you yeah. really want to see yeah. those rake the embers, the sweeping blows, the oh boy. Um... I can't even. There's one more skittering sands. I think it is. Uh, mm-hmm. You you need to have the ash generation, and you need to have the aether ashwing yeah. generation um, yeah. above anything else. Like having some sick dragons on top of that is pretty sweet. Uh, but if you yeah. don't have those things, um, she just doesn't do anything. It does feel. Uh, it does feel like 
uh, very similar in in a sense to how Tales has started out, where you had a very very linear aggro deck that was easy to build and super popular because of that, um, and that that seemed to be the most popular deck this you know over world premiere and then into pre-release weekend phi was you know became i think was the most popular one and i think it's because it's easy to build and a mid phi pool is still probably better than a mid icelander or or dramai pool in that sense um icelander if you open up all the if you open up the enough blues, it seems like Icelander fits, and in that sense, it felt felt feels a little like Oldham was, where if you if you had the Oldham pool, you you went nuts and you dominated with Oldham. Um, and Icelander, I feel like, is very similar, where if you have if you have the pool for it, Icelander just dominates games in limited. And then Dramai and Lexi are very much in parallel, where you need all the pieces to work together in order to make those decks work. And in the sealed environment, it was just very difficult to actually get those pieces together to create a coherent deck. Yeah. Yeah. Droma is going to be a lot more playable in limited where, or sorry, in a draft where you're able in like to like a draft where you can handpick yeah. those pieces and get all the tools mm-hmm. you need to really make her fire off. But in sealed, you just you need to be blessed with a really good draw my pool. So yeah, I ended up going yeah uh, two twice on twice on Fi, twice on Icelander. First time I played Fi, went uh, we played three rounds, had a two one record. Uh, it was the EXO going into the last round, and uh, Fi felt really good. Uh, it's just like. Fi is what we expected Fi to be. Uh, Fi is an aggro deck that forces awkward blocks. Um, you can't, you can't effectively just block Fi from hand. Uh, you do need something like Quell to kind of really go with those really wide turns that Fi has. Um, those low to the ground wide turns, like Fi is taking wide to a whole new level. Like it's so easy to hit four or five chain link turns and that's just like the that's the average um so yeah the playing five first uh in my first event uh two and one um the icelanders it was a little rougher um i, I think in my first event i went two uh, <sighs> I ended up giving just conceding to a guy because we were going to go to a draw anyway. Uh, don't, don't, don't let a judge hear that. Because um, <laughs> uh, we were at time, and uh, I was just like, whatever. It was a casual event. I didn't care. Um, figured he because that one was a win a box, and at that point, uh, we were both. Well, I was out of officially out of contention for the box, so I just figured I might as well still give him a shot at winning the box. Um, so I ended up officially going two and two on Icelander. Um, then had a second event later that day where I went one, one and one on Icelander again. That in that last, I, I kind of, I forced Icelander in that second event, uh, on the Saturday. Um, 
I, I, I think that was the reality of it. I just, I really wanted to play Icelander at that point. And uh, yeah, I, I forced yeah. it. Uh, my pool was probably a little more on the Fi side again. Um, and then on the Sunday, uh, I ended up going 4-0 on Fi. Um, and that's where I, I had a really good Fi deck at that point. And um, I kind of, I think I had... I, I mean, the, the the other reality is I won all the dice rolls. Or no, the the one time I didn't win the dice roll, um, he chose to go first. Um, and I think that's... So that that's one of my... when we As we dive into a little more, uh, that's one thing I think is correct in uh, as Fi is you want to go second. Um, yes. You, that, you, yep, you want to that. drive yeah. that tempo. You want... Uh, yeah, um, going going second as Fi is, is so much more powerful than going first. Yeah, right. It tempo tempo is king. Going second guarantees damage first, forces cards out of hand. Uh, Fi is is the tempo king. Right, gotta gotta do it. Gotta do it. Yeah. Gotta gotta spill your cards. And you know what? Going first in Fi does not suck either. Yeah, uh, you know we'll talk we'll talk more about it, but I mean it goes wide. It goes wide. You're gonna get hits. Uh, you can I think you can go first a lot more effectively than uh, some other aggressive heroes that do want to go. You know th- you want to go, you want to go second. Second's prefer uh, preferable, but your first turn in this deck is not nothing. It, uh, and- you can you can still make some stuff happen. Yeah, and so why why don't we at this point why don't we just kind of part part of the the plan for this episode was to just look at the three heroes and what they're kind of in essence doing and how to how to kind of pilot mm-hmm. them effectively to some extent. Uh, I think we're sure. still we're still figuring out what they're going to look like in CC. Like right now, everything everybody knows is based off of kind of what they're doing, and for the most part, sealed. Like people haven't drafted them much. Uh, there was a couple pre-release events that had a top eight draft. Uh, none of the ones I played in had a top eight draft, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or any top eight for that matter. But um, yeah, so like Fi, like right off the bat, um, my Fi, like my my four o Fi list. I think I had five blues in it. Um, you're you're running a lot of re- yellows, mostly reds. Like I might have been as high as was i as high as like half the deck being reds if not even more um mm-hmm. okay with that being said so and and this is the the this this is a card i i really uh i, I want it we're gonna talk about more down the road uh in this episode uh but uh one of the cards that i i think really pulled me into five both times was sash sash of sandakai um sash mm-hmm. is the draconic tunic um and in limited where you're th- those games uh, as five you're you're not looking for the game to go more than two or three turns um sash is what really enabled my game plan in both games uh i i don't know that i would have done what you know been able to 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 pull out uh the turns that i was able to pull out without sash uh sash was uh there's another card that we're going to talk about in a little bit here red hot um sash was what enabled red hot every single time i got that card off and um 
especially because that deck is as red line as it is um and you're looking to just have one really powerful turn to like just cripple your opponent and put them in a position on the like a, the total back foot sash is what's going to enable that turn um and the thing is that that turn is a lot more achievable than i think people realize too like it's it's not even like necessarily has to be a five card hand thing like i did a 17 damage turn with phi off of four cards with sash turn one with no filtering yeah phi phi is uh amazingly consistent right in a in a limited sealed pool you know red red attacks with go again mean everything and um yeah you you really are right you just you're, you're able to put cards down you're consistently and this translates as you get into constructed that translate as you get into constructed as well where phi's phi's ability to consistently deal what ends up being like 10 to 15 damage on a fair turn easy without any setup uh going five to six chain links long with the phoenix flames in it as an addition to it it just it is it is a you know it is a go wide aggro party uh every every time yeah and you don't you don't have to rely on on hits you just are just you are just stretching your opponent too thin every time and presenting uh, and those that, awkward part of what makes Fi shine is those awkward blocks and awkward damage um it, it's almost like reverse break points where it's like I'm going to present instead of these, you know, attacks for there, there is the occasional attack for four. Um, but, but a lot of it is like attacks for one attack for two. And it, it's just forcing these awkward blocks where it's like, I, I can only block for three or for two um, out of hand. And when the chain goes five or six long and you can only, you've only got four cards in hand to block with it's hard to cover up all that damage yeah 100 percent. and it does it makes it the uh especially in a sealed environment right i think all those factors make it probably like the easiest choice to make uh for the most part uh like if you're if you have questions on like what your pool is doing uh you if you can reliably put together 20 reds you know, uh, and, uh, you know, if you're looking at the if you're looking at the top right, you're looking for a zero. And if you're looking for, in the text box, you're looking for go again. And, yeah. and you I can think really just smush those together with so a couple blues. I think and to expand on that a bit. So some some key things you're wanting to keep in mind when you're building the Phi deck is um, draconic chain and starters. Um Cards like Ronin Renegade, uh, Red Ronin Renegade, is a powerhouse of a chain starter. Uh, brand once again, Red Brand with uh, is it? I always get this one mixed up. Is it Brand with Emberclaw? Brand with Cinderclaw? Either way, Brand Cinderclaw. Brand with Cinderclaw. Brand with Cinderclaw is a zero for three at Red Go again. Like what an amazing mm-hmm. uh, chain. And then you know the fact that it you know if you've got a scar for a scar in your hand to follow it up with, you know, if there's that much of a, a, a life, sometimes you, you're going to like in the interest of like trying to push your opponent over the edge, you're going to take just like a huge t- chunk of damage um, to hold on to your hand. And 
you're going to be able to go brand into uh, scar for scar. And that yeah. is um, the, the fact that you can do that is, is incredible. You know, all of a sudden scar for scar contributes to uh, a draconic chain link and really turns on a lot of the, you know, the rupture effects and kind of what Phi is looking to do. Um, oh, and dust, you know, I was going to say there, there is another one I really liked. Uh, it was dust runner outlaw. Yes. In limited. I am, yes. The, in the, limited. The blue 100%. I was meh on, uh, the, the red was really, really shout, 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 It was shiny. It was good. It, sh- it was, it was, yeah, it really showed up. Yeah. It, it put red. in work. There we go. It put in work. It really mm-hmm. put in work. Um, there, there, Ooh, I remember what the other point I was going to make was um, two costs um, in Phi. When you are building Phi, uh, you do want to be, especially in limited, you do want to be averse of putting in two costs. The only one I would really consider at any there is there is one with built in go again once again. Rebellious Rush. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. this card was okay. Um, Spending two resources to start a chain is not ideal um, when the deck is as resource-hungry as it is and Searing Emberblade is already as expensive as it is. Don't get me wrong, Searing Emberblade is a powerhouse, house, and I, I loved it in the limited deck um, because it's an automatic... It, it, it's it's a draconic chain link, on, chain link on a stick, and that part is amazing. Um, but Rebellious Rush um, is, is definitely going to be more of just like a... Uh, even though it it does have that that unconditional go again again once again, um, it, it is very much a filler card and something to be very uh, very 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 aware of that it's like not an auto include by any means in limited. Yeah, you're you're going to be running super lean. Uh, I think at max you want eight blues, um, but you're perfectly okay if you have. Less than that, even, uh, you know, if you're if your reds are good enough uh, and you're not filling, you know, not putting in filler yellows and such um, to get to 30, uh, you can get away with a lot there because you're not spending a lot of resources other than your searing ember blade yeah. at that point. Yeah, and I searing do... ember blade, right? The the chain usually goes pitch a blue searing ember blade with go again, and uh, usually using the one remaining resource to activate phi a chain link early, and so you spend one, right? Uh, but you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can still attack with the with the ember blade, and very easily get to the third chain link just to activate phi for free. But you can, if you're using resources, you want to be efficient with your resource allocation instead of having one floating out there you can very much pay the one uh, when the time comes yeah i think that for the most part covers i don't did you have anything else to add for like phi is basically i do feel very much that phi is going to be the phi is the pile hero for um for for uprising limited phi is the safe bet um i think even in constructed phi is going to be the breakout hero uh when everybody does get their uprising cards and we start to see some events with uprising um i think phi is going to be the first hero that really starts to do some things and is going to be the 
the hero to beat think, to yep, begin with. It is. It is. It is going to be the week one most popular hero in constructed. And I can go on forever. I've been testing I've been testing Fi and Constructed uh for a while now and I just I love its consistency. Um it is it is very much a different beast than Katsu. Um it is not the same kind of ninja uh as Katsu was. Uh the puzzle pieces fit completely differently. Um and for instance, there are very few attack reactions that are actually worth worth the space in in limited or in um in constructed uh the liquefies and the uh combustion points are nice to have in limited but they really don't have there's there if you're not attacking if you don't have a handful of attacks in in fi you're those are like cards lost <laughs> you know it's wasted cards almost with very few exceptions but unlike katsu where you would like razor reflexes and things like that. It is so threat dense with these attacks um, that it it is it does its thing. It does it well. It does it often, um, and I think a lot of people will be leaning towards it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how how people do with it. Uh, I do believe that there is a very medium way of building it which doesn't do much of any one thing and thus doesn't have a great payoff and you you end up doing this you know you do 10 to 15 damage a turn and that's it right and you might set up for something a little bigger that might get you to 20 plus um but if you are doing it that way you're probably not going to see great results. And I do think that there are some people out there that are. Um, so there is, there's definitely some tech pieces out there. Uh, some were in uprising. Uh, I would look into older sets. I would just say that um, there are cards already there um, that will help Fi go super over the top. Um, and that's what you, there's, that's where you should be looking to, to get, uh, to get, get those wins in week one yeah 100 percent. do you wanna i I think we can get through dromai pretty quickly here because um (laughs) that's how do we how do i feel about dromai well i mean we've we've spoken about dromai a bit already and the reality is is a lot of what fi is looking to do dromai is looking to do as well just in a flashier way um, you know, make the dragons and and go wide with a bunch of dragons. That that that's you know, you're still looking to establish a bunch of draconic chain links. You're still looking to go wide on your opponent with awkward blocks and and what have you. It's just a different means of getting there. And and like the deck building constraints are still fairly similar. Like you're still looking to do a lot of reds. Um it's just Dromai, like we said before, is is hard and, and sealed. Like you really need that god pool to really pull Dromai off well. And and Dromai is gonna shine more in, in, in Blitz or no not Blitz, uh draft. Uh and beyond that, I think Dromai is a bit of an enigma, like for constructed. I don't think people really know what to expect yet. 
And I think that was the same thing with with Prism when we we first got Prism, right? Um, yeah, very much. Uh, so it is it is one hundred percent an illusionist class. And when you see it in practice, um, you can you can see where the inspiration came from Prism, uh, and th that comes in the form of the Aether Ashwings. Uh, there are there are a few great cards in Dromai that if you find in limited, um, they can really break open a game. Um, you do need dragons, right? Number one, you need dragons. You can't just have ash. Uh, you need you need the big honking dragons. Uh, one in particular is I, I'm gonna butcher the name, but it's U Uvia, uh, the one attack six toughness that transforms an ash into an ether wing at the i believe when it comes into play and at the start of your turn yeah that's correct and uh uvia is definitely like if you open an uvia you and you have a lot of way to make ash you have a uh, that in itself is going to be a decent dromai deck it's going to be one that's looking to build uh to just pump out a lot of aether ash wings and overwhelm the board that way um yeah, like uh, it, Uvia is one of the dragons that if I I'm looking to see to kind of start to pull me into Dromai. Um, beyond that, uh, are there any other like rare dragons that are maybe Necria? Uh, that one's maybe pulling me into. Dromai, because once again, that's that's a steady source of ash. Like, I mean, if you have an Uvia and a Necria, you're laughing. I think. Um, I do think that. So, uh, the strength, Chromai. the strength in Dromai is is definitely going to be in its dragons. Uh, and yeah. I also think Dromai is what? showcasing the balance of the limited format uh, in in this in this set here. Because it is great, in my opinion. I have not seen a lot, but uh, I think it handles Icelander's arcane abilities very well uh, because of the uh, the Ash Wings, and uh, uh, you're usually running some quells, and your blue count's going to be much higher than in Phi. Uh, but on the other hand, Phi uh, can can have a bit of a field day if this is an Ash Wing centric pool that you have uh phoenix flames the allies in general um cannot be defended and on hits are guaranteed so phi can absolutely target ash wings one two three with phoenix flames and continue their combat chains so if you want to strategically open up a rupture card uh of some sort like if you have lava burst and you attack once, right? If you attack with rising resentment for for three, possibly targeting a dragon, right? That that is a hit. It does not have spectral. It doesn't have spectra, so your combat chain doesn't close. It hits if you have a three toughness dragon. That's that's gone. Uh, now you can attack with searing ember blade for three potentially. Uh, so there's a there's a few four health dragons out there, and there's a couple two health dragons, and then you have your ash wings for one. Um, you can absolutely start. So you can see where this goes. You can absolutely start taking out their board in one fell swoop if you have the pieces together. And those Phoenix Flames match up against those Aether Wings. Super great. Um, and again, that is 
that that translates into constructed as well. Um, but what I've found in in limited is that Phi has has a real problem having their turns do something and having to deal with some of the fatter dragons that uvia that uvia is a six toughness that is really really hard to take off the board um there's the dragon with the endurance counter that prevents three damage that is difficult to take off the board um yenderize so, that dragon spoken quite eloquently i'm just um, I'm trying to learn the dragon is, names <laughs> um if dromai has the ability to work generate that ash put some of those ash wings out but also has a good density of those dragons you can really cause some problems with both both other heroes well and i i think though i i do want to from the little bit of experience i do have on droma at this point from felt table even uh i i can say that i i don't even think you need that many of the actual like dragon dragons if you've got one like i mean if you've got an uvia or uh, a necria or something like that any combination of those or like a, a chromi or something like that you're in a, a good spot for dragons but beyond that um it's gonna be the the the, the sweeping blows the rake the embers and the skittering sands um those are mm-hmm. are kind of going to be also great enablers for for dromai in, in especially in limited because they you know the sweeping yeah. blow makes your ash the skittering sands transforms mm-hmm. them and gives them a buff rake the ember both makes and transforms ash um those are huge enable like on 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 its own like those allow dromai to do so much Hundred percent. There is, <clears throat> there is a hundred percent like a great limited pool to be had uh, with Dromai. And personally, I have lost to every Dromai <laughs> I have faced in in limited action. I cannot. I have found the opponents who get the Uvia and uh, seven to eight Aether Ashwings. Couldn't quite figure it out. I also ran Icelander both pre-releases i was at so i had no idea what i was doing but those 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 were both things but I, like drill was able to establish its board state and it, it and while it was doing it i was like this is very prism like i can see what they're doing here with illusionist here just overwhelming with token attackable you know a, a token attacking uh entities uh, that just just overwhelmed you over time. You just couldn't do anything about it. And then once it, you know, it got late game, and you couldn't, um, you know, you started to make decisions where you were going to face, and now you regret going face. So you try to clear out some of these things, and now you can't. And uh, then you're the game's over at that yeah, point. Yeah, by that point, it's if you're not on, if you're not care, there's it's it dealing with the 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 allies is going to be just like dealing with the the spectra auras where there's going to be a, a careful balance of like in the early game you have to be very on top of them up until a point where you've reached the point of no return you you know you you've uh you you've you've gotten their life you know their their life total down to a certain point where you're able to actually pressure them and try to go for the kill and 
that's going to be the the one of the balances like playing into to dromai is going to be like figuring out when do i go face and when do i deal with with uh allies with dragons um and yep. i i think in like the first few weeks that's going to be a big thing that people are just going to be trying to to figure that out fun fact waning moon does not target allies no i, I learned that. that the hard way <laughs> yeah me too me too did not uh it's like ah oh, well at least i can deal two to something nope cannot nope cannot. just target hero um, but that is a, uh, a solid transition to get into Icelander. That is a great uh, segue into Icelander. Um, so you played Icelander twice. Like, what stood out to you right away? That it. Uh, the I, I'll tell you what. The one thing that really stood out is that there is a very specific play pattern with Icelander that you need to do to get right in order to be successful. Um, so I think no matter what your card pool is. I, the cards themselves are less material than the what they represent, right? You need your fuse cards, you need blues, um, and you need to know that know that play pattern. Um, so my first my first day uh, my first pre-release, I had a uh, I st- I live with regret to this day. I should have just played with my Phi cards, but. Uh, consensus was that my my Icelander pool was really great. I had 15 blues, and I'm not sure if that was enough, but uh, it was like 15 blues, eight yellows, and like a handful of reds to complete everything out. And um, it was uh, I felt like I had a good ratio of fuse to ice, and so I went for it. And um, what I came to find that was most difficult for me was the ability to do my turns were much more difficult than my opponent's turns, right? Very straightforward process in my opponent's turns, as long as I arsenal the blue card. So my turns, I had to really evaluate my hand and I wanted to have some sort of non-attack action. And that can be your powerful red spells. Uh, potentially with fuse i wanted something i wanted enough that i could pitch to still attack with waning moon and arsenal a blue card so that on my opponent's turn i could i could do the thing right i can play a, a blue card from arsenal create a frostbite instant speed waning moon possibly do something else um I found it very difficult to clear out dragons um, against Dromai, but I did not have a ton of any target stuff. Uh, it was a lot of, and what I, what it was was a bunch of ones, you know, one shot stuff, frosting, blue. There's the there was one spell that was like deal one to. Uh, a hero and then one to an ally of some sort. I know that's scaled up. Yeah. Um, so the good, the thing about Icelander for me was I really got an idea that something was there and I'm sure that'll bear fruit in constructed. Um, but I really missed not having just the cards that I felt like I wanted. Like I just, I wanted blue cards and when I didn't get blue cards, I was upset, <laughs> and and it just wasn't um, 
it, it made my turns awkward. And it, and if I sold out on a turn, right? If I if I if I had to either defend with all my cards uh, or uh, you know on my turn, I felt like I could deal a lot of arcane damage. It was almost never worth it if that meant not arsenaling a blue card. So I felt like my turns were tempered down by by that reality. Because if you don't arsenal a blue, you're not doing much of anything. And in limited, you don't have the you may play this as an instant outside of Icelander's ability. Every once in a while, I, I believe that wizard uh, majestic. It's it's like a tome of aether wind for three instead of. Um, not that's giving it too much credit, but uh, Toma Duplicity, I believe it is. You pay three, uh, you can banish, you look at like a card. If it's a non-attack, you can banish it and play it this turn as an instant. Um, outside of that, I don't think that there's much that you can do that would incentivize arsenaling something other than a blue is what I'm getting at there. Yeah, you and I found that as well as you, and I, I think I think it's kind of, I don't want to say it's obvious because you the, there were very very rare times where it's like yes I want to arsenal a red just to have something you know be able to draw a five card hand but that's in in a, in a realm where it's like you're looking to maybe block with three cards and or like two cards mm-hmm. and then play that red on your yeah. turn then follow that up by the moon and then try to arsenal a card and then try to drive some tempo from there on their turn right. once again. Uh, yeah. But like Icelander and then beyond that, Icelander is only going to arsenal a red in CC uh, when you're going to go in for the kill and you're going to play that red off of storm striders beyond that. You're never going to uh-huh. arsenal a red in Icelander uh, is what I found uh, at this point. Um, but I, I did also find that Icelander was actually, in a way, though, easier to pull off than I, I expected uh, in that limited setting. Um, yes, you need to have like a very key pool. You're looking for a lot of ice cards and a lot of blue, but like there's a lot of ice cards and there's a lot of blues and a lot of wizard cards and a lot of non-attack actions. So yep. it's yep. it's it's doable though your game plan is going to change slightly and uh your deck is going to like what your deck does is going to change drastically based on like what your pool is and I do think there's going to be mm-hmm. times where you're going to be better off playing other heroes even if you do have what looks like a potentially a decent Icelander pool. Um a really powerhouse card that you know two cards that i think were really powerhouses for me uh ice eternal um it's one of the few non-ice cards i'm happy to put in the arsenal and know it's really going to put in some work uh and then uh the red aether ice vein was a really uh one of the few like three cost cards i want to put in the deck um yeah you're you're being you know that you know five arcane and the on hit effect that's pretty much like it it, it, it's gonna hit uh, in the red um it is yep yep yeah i don't think there's literally any way unless they had uh no i don't think they can i i think if they went full quelling suite i don't think there's anything else that would give it uh that you could prevent the fifth damage Unless you were Dromai with 
uh, enough ash wings out. That's uh, a bit. Helios miter if you've got a handful of blues, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good one. But yeah, I was thinking about that. I was still at yeah, because but yeah, that's four for four preventing two, and you still have. I mean, how many cards do you have left at that point to go into Quell? It's just very difficult. Either uh, the either Ice Vein is a very good uh, red to have in that deck, as you were saying. To your point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then like any blue ice card, you're happy to play. I think, and that's kind of one of the key things there is like, yeah, like any blue ice card is very, yeah, very goes right in. Yeah, it's like a red red attack with go again with five. It just goes in. Yeah, basically. Yeah, some of them are going to be more potent than others. Like uh, your your blue frosting, you know, zero for one. Woo! But you know, the fact that it gives a frostbite is still really good. Uh, and then the other big key, I think, with Icelander is just kind of there's going to be a really key um, balance with knowing when to play on your opponent's turn and when to not. Um, it's not always going to be correct, though it's for the most part, Icelander is looking to tempo, I think, on the opponent's turn and is actually looking to play on the opponent's turn more than Kano is uh, as a general rule of thumb. Uh, even at that, though, there are going to be moments where you're actually wanting to like do things on your turn versus their turn and it's it's going to be a fine balance uh that people are going to have to figure out yeah i would recommend as if you're not used to icelander if you are looking to get uh if you're prepping for rtn drafts and things of that nature uh if you went to a pre-release take your sealed pools um Put put these heroes together, and especially Icelander. Um, you can get a lot out of gold fishing. Icelander is get is those what table reps, guys. Can't yeah, stress it just enough. it. I think that more than anything else, I think if you are in a position where you might have to play Icelander and you're not used to it, getting those reps in, like I said, it is it is such a specific sequence of cards that you need to play. And if you can get the sequencing down, I, the rest of it can fall into place and you can make every game competitive, whether or not, you know, if they got the nuts, then so be it. But uh, to be able to grind things down effectively, you're going to be dealing a ton of arcane damage. But you're real, realistically, you're going to be dealing maybe six to eight arcane in a turn in, in a given turn right like if you uh if you have the best case scenario you're doing something like uh you're dealing three arcane and then pitching a card for another two from waning moon on your turn and then arsenaling and then on their turn right doing something fancy with with the non-attack action and as an instant uh attacking with or you know using waning moon to get three arcane out of that you know that that's gonna that incremental damage over time is important and it allows you to kind of grind things out it still allows you to block a little bit here and there um that that arcane is pretty unblockable forces them to either take cards out of their hands or you know or just let that damage go through and late it matters you know it forced them to burn their quell equipment uh, and then once they're defenseless, you can really just right. You can, once once their equipment's gone, you can just waning moon them for two right, and just be done with it. Um, so getting them into that position is is super important. Yeah, one hundred percent. 
Anything else on Icelander? Uh, yeah. The, uh, I think Icelander has uh, arguably some of the... Uh, look at the equipment, people. When, you, when you're looking at these, these, you know, one of... We were talking about with Tommy uh, last time how, you know, in, in limited equipment is super important. Uprising equipment is going to be plentiful, right? You, you're, no matter what, you're going to have access to Helios Mitre. Um, I very rarely saw somebody with uh, less than three pieces of equipment, and most of the time they had a full set of of equipment on there. Um, Quell is great. Your hero item is, or your hero specific equipment is for the most part really good for your hero and i think icelanders in particular the glacial horns and the glove of frostburn or the conduit of frostburn um are are very good if you have the right cards in your deck to treat them well um i was still learning what those cards did in my first Pre, in my first pre-release deck and realized afterwards that I, I missed a lot of opportunity to freeze something in Arsenal and then destroy it, which really would have slowed my opponents down um, by doing so. And I just needed to, you know, so I, th I think taking advantage of Icelanders equipment, um, being able to freeze a, a card from Arsenal and also destroy it, um, Focusing on the uh, I, I, conduit allows you to destroy an uh, a frozen card from Arsenal uh, if you deal arcane damage that turn. And glacial horns lets you freeze a card, so you know those two come in handy uh, uh, pretty often. But I think those those two might be one of the more powerful two card you know two card equipment combinations you'll find uh, in the set. Uh, conduit being wizard. Specifically, an ice wizard uh, equipment and glacial horns being an ice only. So, I mean, you could old them, can put it on, but you're not drafting old them. So. <laughs> maybe, maybe a, a, an ice Lexi thing in constructed. Who knows? Yeah, I, right. I don't well, see, I think I there's, don't see right, it happening, there's, but there, there's definitely room for exploration on ice now, especially with the hexes and freezing things. I think that'll it'll be interesting to see where where all that goes and with the other heroes. But I think I, I think that uh, that sums up our uh, hero debrief coming out of pre-release, getting ready for uh, week one here. Yeah. So, with that being said, uh, you know th there are a lot of set reviews coming out. We're we're not a huge we're not huge advocates of regurgitating the same thing that everyone else is is saying, and you know kind of get lost in the shuffle here. So. We are going to kind of condense down uh, our our Uprising uh, review here, and we're going to do five cards from Uprising that we're each interested in. We'll talk about them. Yeah. Um, do you want to get right yeah. into the number one then for you? Sure. Let's do it. Um, we My first card that I like to talk about uh, from Uprising is going to be Spreading Flame. Spreading Flame is a majestic uh, Draconic Ninja action attack. It costs one attacks for three and blocks for two. It says Draconic attacks you control have plus one attack while they're 
base attack is less than the number of draconic chain links you control go again oh this is a great way to push damage it's 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 great right i think uh a constructed fi deck is going to have a lot of these abilities and have access to a lot of these types of abilities and the uh how you combine multiple instances of similar um of similar types of of abilities is what will take you over the top here so uh, you know, there was a big to-do uh, in the scheduled banned and restrict in a, a banned and suspended list uh, back in April that Stubby Hammers was going to be banned on June 24 in Blitz because of very flavorful and you know synergistic cards that are coming out in Uprising, and we see here what the hell they were talking about right when it comes uh, comes to the. Uh, card pool here the draconic and draconic ninja card pool are filled with uh cards that are base three attack um that would benefit from stubby hammers that being said it's still it's still a great card in cc and it's probably the correct choice to for the main uh arm equipment in phi in uh classic constructed but spreading flame is ha, has a lot of things going for it so it does cost one uh, that's usually not a factor you're usually running tunic so if your tunic's up to three this might be one of the things that you're going to use your tunic resource to pay for um it has unconditional go again which means that cards uh the other cards that come into the pool that may require uh you to play a red beforehand or be the second or more draconic link in in the combat chain this one doesn't have to worry about it and can start it off and obviously because of the nature of its attack you kind of want it early uh early on so that the draconic links can really accumulate here um this really starts to shine quickly with the phoenix flames in particular if you have three phoenix flames uh coming out as long as you are at chain link two with the phoenix flames they start getting the buff immediately so your other your other attacks that are going to be base three attack uh will still get a buff but later you know later on in the chain so your your correct sequencing here on how you attack and uh in what order will will you know you'll have to think about so that you can maximize the damage uh, output coming out here. So that might also involve using Searing Ember Blade to follow up. So if I were playing this, I would love to go uh, spreading flames uh, into Searing Ember Blade, um, which actually, if it was at a late enough combat, a uh, chain link would actually trigger off of uh, off of this. But once you do Searing Ember Blade, then you can start getting into your uh your three your three base attacks uh and less in your phoenix flames uh and start getting the buffs there's no limit to them so as long as your chain link is your chain links are growing uh your cards can get the buff and you know once you've hit chain link four or five there's there's nothing you really have to worry about so um like i said if you combine this with either stubby hammers or art of war you your your combat chain is ridiculous at that point um and this is one of these things this is a game winner you're setting up five for a turn where you can break stubby hammers come in with the spreading flames and at least make your attacks get plus two uh each hit 
which is just right. It, it's it's the crazy stuff, and we know how wide Phi can go. And this is one of the, this is where you get your thirty plus damage turn out of uh, cards like this. Three of auto include in classic constructed in blitz. It's auto include in two. Um, I think this is a staple for Phi, and uh, I think you'd be silly not to play it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, this card is going to be, uh, I think, uh, a powerhouse for sure. But that's what I got on Spreading Flames. We'll go down my list here. The next one is going to be Crown of Providence. Uh, Crown of Providence, a very hyped uh, generic legendary equipment. Um, <clears throat> originally spoiled by Arsenal Pass, Crown of Providence is a two-defense equipment it says, when you defend with Crown of Providence, you may put a card from your hand or arsenal on the bottom of your deck. If you do, draw a card. Blade Break. So it is two block. It is a one-time two block. And when you defend, you can uh, you can pick a card from your hand or your arsenal uh, and put it on the bottom of your deck, and then you draw a card. This is... This is a great piece of equipment. Uh, there are so many heroes that lo- want card fixing, right? And everyone's who's defaulted to Arcanite Skullcap and has wanted, you know, just wished they could have something else other than the Skullcap, I think are going to be super happy with with this card. Um, it is one of those things where you, if you look at that at first glance, it might appear a little underwhelming, but you know that the card fixing is good. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, you know that the card fixing is good. Um, but if you look at the reality of what skull cap is, you're very rarely in in some heroes not uh, very rarely getting the three block and hardly ever using the arcane barrier aspect of that skull cap. Uh, so to have a piece of equipment like Crown of Providence where you're you're guaranteed to get the two block and you're guaranteed to have a beneficial effect happen at a very important part of the game is just, you know, it is chef's kiss. It is fantastic. Yeah, I, I think Crown of Providence kind of like takes the best parts of like Hope Merchant's Hood, Crown of Seeds, uh, Skullcap. And just kind of blends them all together into this um, amazing pivot turn enabler. Yeah, and uh, I've I've been part of some testing in just a, a variety of heroes, and as it turns out, almost every single one of them can use some sort of selective card fixing at a crucial moment in their in their games. This can be, uh, this is Reinar. This is. Briar is it was like the first one that came to mind. Obviously, a little biased, but uh, the ability to fix a card uh, from hand it can be a game winner in Briar. Oh, Viscerai would have loved this. Like Viscerai, absolutely. Old. Oh my god, that would have been so good. Yep. Um, my uh, my Bravo colleagues are very excited about this. Uh, this card, they. Uh, they are running running this to take a take out a blue uh, take out a red you know and put in a and draw into another blue uh, when they get that kind of just clunky you know one hand you know one resource clunkier than they wanted to right uh, 
you know, and, and right, it just has so many uses, right? It, 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 if you are a hero that depends on a certain type of card, um, whether that be a certain pitch or a certain, uh, you know, action, non-attack action, reaction, um, you can always benefit from the ability to see more cards. And so I think this this does take over for a lot of uh, a lot of heroes. I think maybe, I think Dorinthia kind of sticks with Skullcap. She's been pretty, she's pretty consistent. Um, but other than that, maybe Dash as well, probably Skullcap. But other than that, I think almost every single other hero could probably benefit. That you know, if you were defaulting to Skullcap, you're probably on Crown of Providence at this point. Probably top equipment in the set uh, for me. Um, I think it'll see a lot of use and it'll be a good staple. Um, yeah, I can definitely see it. I, I think people are going to be a little slow to come to it. Maybe uh, it's not going to go as fast, come up as fast as uh, we'd expect. I think the blade break is mm-hmm. going to be something that people are going to be like a little hesitant on because they're going to just cherish that one extra life that yeah Skullcap buys them. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think over time, you're right. Crown of Providence is going to become very much a staple. Uh, card uh, and a headpiece for a lot of classes um, and possibly even overtakes Skullcap. I will, I will say that if you are right, if you're looking at Crown of Providence, you're going, but you know, but what if? Take, really evaluate what you're doing with your equipment and when you're doing it, you know, when you are doing it. Um, I am willing to bet that you, for the most part, are are spend are using your equipment late once for a truly effective block. Uh, there might be some exceptions where you have the battle worn, uh, battle worn legendaries where you might you know stop a Katachi or, or you know something along those lines. But really, you're you know what is the block that matters and when are you going to use that card for that, right? Um, I think that you know you're going to pivot off of your equipment block late, and when that happens, that's when Crown of Providence helps your pivot. Um, so if you if you find yourself in that kind of situation where you, you are you are the type that will save your armor for late for one big you know typically a six block or you know or more depending on you know depending on what your suite is at that point, but uh, you know that when you th- when you throw everything at that object what you know herald of erudition whatever it ends up being um you know that's gonna change your game uh regardless of what you know of how much of equipment you block with you're gonna throw everything in there uh and you might not use your equipment again that game in in as effective a way and um crown of providence is a is a a hundred percent a very suitable uh addition to just about any hero's uh, equipment suite. Yeah, I agree. Um, Moving on, we do have another generic. Uh, We have the Majestic Defensive uh, Reaction. That all you got, uh, spoiled by friend of the pod, Matt Flake. Um, It is a zero-cost defense reaction uh, that blocks for three says while while this is defending an attack with two or less attack uh when the combat chain closes draw a card um this is when i first saw this i was like eh, three 
right? Because what are we, what are we doing here? Um, but when you take a step back, right? This is this is crazy. This is if you even just look at what Phi does, right? On a fair turn, uh, this is a defense reaction that replaces itself in your hand. This allows so many decks to um, that don't necessarily like to defend. Uh, on its own, this now gives the flexibility for those those decks to uh, to defend and not have to worry about reducing their turn. Um, this also just takes out. Um, I mean, like all these all these aggro uh, uh, heroes and uh, and such that are trying to you know go wide and try to cut you, cut you out of things. Um, this is. Uh, this is great being able to draw the card off of that. It works on a ton of different things, and uh, I think it's just a, you know, it's not a four cost zero. It's you know, it's not a, a zero cost four uh, defense defense reaction. So it does have a little more niche uh, uh, uses on it. But I think this is gonna this is super effective, and I think it's gonna see a lot of a lot of use. Yeah, and I. I actually got this once in one of my pools and uh, though I will caution, like, I mean, this is in some ways a sideboard card. Like obviously you're not um, okay. using this in all situations, but in when it is relevant, yeah, the, the, the replacement of the card you just played is huge. Um, th- th- this makes once again, enabling pivot turns uh, really, really good. Yeah, it, it, just the ability to, uh, you know, this thought, th- we're talking weapon attacks, right? We're talking uh, Rosetta Thorn, um, yeah. on the you know on the physical end of things, um, you know, uh, Kadachi's, uh, there, you know, there's just so many applications for this, and uh, and like I said, the ability to replace itself, it it stops the fear of having to block, right? So if you put this in, um. You can you can safely block and still have your full hand uh, when when your turn is 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 ready. And so now you've you know you you've done the thing your opponent didn't want you to do, and you you know you've preserved some life and uh, and you can proceed uh, as as you would otherwise. I I think you're right. It is it is sideboard uh, tech, but I think this is going to be pretty ubiquitous in a lot of sideboards. Um, Especially with uh, if Phi is popular, right? This this is in here, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, pretty straightforward there. Um, I am going to move on to my next one, and that is going to be. Uh, I didn't do this on purpose. I maybe it's just because I'm so used to Briar and all the generics I ran in Briar that these are the cards that I highlighted outside of the searing flame here. Um, but my next card is going to be Sift. Uh, Sift is a rare cycle of cards. Comes in a uh, red pitch, yellow pitch, and a blue pitch. Uh, it is a generic action that d- defends for three, and it says put up to the red. Says put up to four cards from your hand on the bottom of your deck, then draw that many cards. Go again. Um, I think that this is a great card. The red, not so much. Red is super niche, right? The red, you almost have to play from Arsenal in order to maximize its its benefit, right? So you're gonna you're gonna filter up to four cards, right? The only way that you do that is if you've Arsenaled 
this and you've and you've dumped you know so you, you arsenal sift you play sift and you dump your entire hand back and draw it up um not a ton of applications for this maybe valda for the red um you can get your you can get four seismic surges uh, off of that so maybe that's where the red finds a home uh the yellow and the blue the blue in particular i think is probably the best out of the three um these are finding homes in rune blades uh specifically for me briar um the the blue is a, is almost a almost an auto include at this point i still need to do a little more testing on it but uh most briar builds are going up to 18 blues and uh three of those blues are typically kind of a i call them utility blues it's not necessarily an earth card but they're cards that just do something uh beneficial so like look at whispers the oracle and things of that nature um the ability to filter out uh, a certain number of cards is always going to be beneficial for briar um my eyes lit up initially when i saw the yellow one because you can play the yellow one from hand and cycle the rest of your hand out and my thought was when uh like all the Briar players out there, how many times have you put Channel Mount Heroic out, done a thing, right? Kept it, kept it, you know, pitched your Earth card, put your flow counter on, and then drawn into just garbage afterwards, right? Just, just whatever that mess ends up being. Uh, Sift, I think, can win you a game in that instance. So the the blue the blue being a three so this being a three defense uh, and the blue being kind of a natural fit I think is gonna uh, I think that's gonna see a lot of play the ability to just even cycle two cards is gonna be uh, gonna be great I think people are still going to have to weigh whether or not um, right the heuristics work in their favor right I think going through. Um, as I've tested more and more, Sift is great, but conditionally so, right? Uh, so it might not necessarily be a three of the, in some decks, but this is one of those things where you're going to have to feel it out for yourself uh, through testing. Um, but when Sift is great, it is just the freaking best. Being able to take, like I said, that brick hand and draw into three attacks to extend your channel mount heroics life another 21 points of damage that is it is irreplaceably fantastic um what are you going to take out for that that is a huge question with briar like are you going to take out nimbleism and lose that or do you take out a revel do you take out you know what do you take out what what is what is sift better than um i i'll I don't think anyone that I've talked to has a, like a straight answer there, you know, and it very well may be at this time that status quo on, on Briar is probably still the best. And thus uh, maybe sift ends up on the cutting room floor, but uh, it's definitely worth exploring and uh, its ability is, is unique and beneficial. And uh, I, it'll definitely see some play. And I know some of the, uh some some players are definitely looking looking at this card uh and not just in briar i you know the yellow uh in prism uh and uh other heroes as well what do you think about sift 
I was, I, I'll be honest, initially I was a little surprised to see it on your list. Um, I don't think it's bad per se, but I think it's definitely build dependent. Uh, when you mention it in Briar, mm-hmm. it may, that makes sense. Um, it's kind of like, uh, with, once again, it, it's, it's a Hope Merchant's hood on a card. Um, yes, yes, 100%, right? So, uh, like, if you... That's a great that's a great example, right? Hope Merchant's Hood. I think if every Briar player could, they would run Hope Merchant's Hood if if defending wasn't an issue, right? So I do have one more card to talk about and it is uh it is a token card in Uprising. Uh it is none other than the Phoenix Flame. Uh Phoenix Flame, I wanted to talk about this because I think this card is going to be... Uh, it's bonkers. It's a bonkers card. Uh, if you're a Fi, it starts in your graveyard. You can have three in your constructed deck. You can have three in your limited deck. We talked about how good that is. Um, Phoenix Flame makes Fi work, right? It extends combat chains. Um, the ability to use something like Flame Call Awakening to fetch a Phoenix Flame, to you be able to use Rise from the Ashes uh, to pick up an extra Phoenix Flame from your graveyard outside of Fi's ability. Um, Phoenix Flame is what enables you to get to Chain Links 5, 6, 7, and 8. Um, this is what will enable you to threaten Mask twice in a turn, which is... You know, before before now, right? It was unheard of. When when you say mask twice in a turn, you mean just like being able to like they block out and you can get another mm-hmm. three links on yes. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're gonna have two instances of threatening mask. So Phoenix Flame and Phi live and die with each other, right? If Phi's if Phi is good, it's because Phoenix Flame enabled it. Uh if Phi gets too good, it's gonna be because of Phoenix Flame. So it's definitely something to look at. I don't think we're we're there yet, but I'm just saying if it's uh, I, Phoenix Flame is the catalyst that makes Phi good. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see see Phi Phi go burr uh, this season in constructed. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I I think it's going to be an aggro deck unlike we've ever seen before. That's what I got. Those are my those are my five cards uh, in Uprising that I'm excited to see. Um, yeah, and I I guess we'll we'll rattle through my five cards quickly here. Uh, the the first one on my list, um, Red Hot. Uh, this is a two. It it, it is a Dromai or Fi specialization at rare. Uh, only comes in red. Um, and it's super interesting that we saw like the, the dual specializations of red hot and rise up though. I don't think rise up performs the same way red hot does, uh, red hot as a rupture card is probably my favorite rupture card in the set. Um, it's, it's just so it, 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 you can the way the decks are going to be built um you can really kind of build the deck for it to hit well and it's just going to be such a good it, it was such a good win condition for me on multiple times this past weekend in uh uh pre-releases uh so anyway it's a two costed red um four power 
uh, blocks for three, and the rupture reads, if Red Hot is played as Chainlink 4 or higher, it has, when you attack with this, reveal the top X cards of your deck, where X is the number of Draconic Chainlinks you control, and deal damage equal to the number of red cards revealed this way to any target, then shuffle your deck. And to put it into perspective, I had this one nutty turn, like I said, off I was kind of hinting at this earlier. It was a four-card hand, um, turn one, no filtering, uh, 17 damage. And the reason it was a 17 damage attack was because red hot, I hit five reds off the top. Now, I know that's that's the high end, that's the ceiling, uh, but it ended up being a red hot for nine. Um now I know this is we we cautioned about playing two cost cards in Phi, and I I don't know how this card plays in Dromai yet. I'll be honest. Um, Dromai actually might have an easier time enabling it because Dromai can like build up the board state and gain value going wide that way, whereas Phi is going to need to play all cards from hand enable to enable this. Uh, well, hand in Arsenal. Um. It could it could play really well in Dromai too, uh, but yeah, like this is probably one of the few two cost cards you do maybe want to include in your your five limited deck. And um, now um, the the next card I'm going to talk about, Sash of Sandakai, is also was a huge factor in enabling this card. And I do want to caveat that, and I think that probably is a great time to segue into my second card, which is Sash of Sandakai. Uh, this is the draconic tunic essentially um sash is a uh draconic uh draconic uh chess piece um blocks for zero uh in an instant uh it reads uh destroy sash of sandakai to gain a resource and activate this ability only if you've played a red card this turn um in both dromai and uh, in both Dromai and and in in, in Fi, when you're playing resource starved decks that are mainly red line, um, that extra resource off Sash is what's going to enable those huge turns. It's what's going to enable you to pull off things like red hots for nine, uh, big win cons with unblockable damage that your opponent can't deal with. So um, Sash is, is just kind of a, a no brainer. I think possibly even a contender for best card in the set. Um, I don't know what you think about. Um, either actually i, I kind of just spit fired through two cards at once pat i don't know if you had anything to add to either of those uh, i do like red hot it is not my favorite rupture card uh uh i am super fi centric uh but i do see uh its uses in dramai uh sash is the same way i don't know how i feel about sash i that Right, one resource at instant speed will always be good. Um, I don't know. You know, maybe it is correct over over something like Tunic. I suppose it depends on just how many turns and what you need, right? If you have the right tool for the job, you know, it just, you know, it, it works itself out. So if, if you are on like a three-turn clock uh, anyways and you would rather it, uh, you know, be at instant speed and uh maybe it doesn't blow up in certain ways but you you know you might be able to re- be able to react a little differently to it i think sash definitely has a has a spot um i see both of these as super you know they're limited powerhouses um i'm curious to see if they see much outside of of limited if that makes sense one of the things about rupture is that you know uh 
those those ash wings are draconic attacks so yeah uh, so that's exactly know, why i was saying red hot could be yeah yeah it's definitely you know in the in the right place um it definitely has uh uh definitely has its applications um but that's how that's how that's how i feel about about those two yeah, no, and that's that's fair. I I think in Blitz, Sash is gonna see play because you even bear in mind, like into like the Icelander match, where that she's gonna respond and give you a frostbite. You can then respond with Sash to the frostbite and clear, you know, have that resource yeah. to to clear a to clear a frostbite. So like Sash yeah, is that's very very good point, and I, I, I do think that Blitz is gonna become a rupture format. Yeah, uh, it could. It, it definitely has the potential. Um, the, the third card on my list, uh, this one's kind of, th- this might be only for, for uprising limited, um, at this point, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if this card sees any play. I actually, I don't expect this card to see any play in constructed, uh, but Helios miter is a very, like you're a crazy limited player or something that you just love. You love limited and limited cards. Oh, it's so much fun um just just being able to just just playing off of what you're you know no magical christmas land of oh if i have this card and this card not like being confined to like whatever cards you it is so frustrating uh, <laughs> no, was... I... play it's a beautiful playing thing. icelander last weekend and just in going if only i had the freaking cards i wanted this would just this would just go a lot smoother, but I can't have what I want because this is limited. Yeah. Very frustrating. Uh, I mean, and they teach their own, right? Like one man's, I, I, I don't know. There's probably some saying, uh, I was going to say one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's not super applicable here, but, uh, no, it is my limited trash. is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this card's probably only going to be, uh, an uprising limited card, uh, maybe commoner, uh, Helios Miter, uh, which is a zero cost of generic equipment head, uh, instant prevent or instant pay two resources, prevent the next one damage that would be dealt to your hero this turn by a source of your choice, uh, and then destroy Helios Miter at the beginning of the end phase. Uh, the reason I highlighted this card, um, this card at first to me was a, a worse quell. And I was like, man, why are you wanting to play this? But the reality is, is this card does a few things that quell doesn't do. Uh, quell being a triggered ability uh, and, and healer's miter being an active abil- uh, ability allows you to do some interesting things with it. Like you can stack the activations to like get around to dominate or to get around not that there's many dominates in the set, uh, but to get around dominate or to get around, you know, a big stack of arcane damage or something like that. Though it's inefficient, um, it's still an interesting way to deal with damage, tall damage in that sense. But I think the more interesting thing about Helios Miter is that it it can be an excellent resource sink and hand fixer. Um, you know, you're always going to, being that it's in the token slot and is available to every pool in limited uh, uprising, you always have access to it. Um, uh, you know, on your opponent's turn, if you're Dromai, you can turn zero, pitch to it to make a bunch of ash, fix your hand. Phi, same thing. You can fix your hand. Um, 
even Icelander, you can fix your hand if you're stuck going second. Um, I, I think Helios Miter has a lot more use cases than people give it than people realize at this point. And I think for that reason, uh, it's going to be a a very powerful card for Uprising Limited. Absolutely, I think the the addition of a token level equipment uh, in in sealed and draft is uh, super important. Uh, equipment has always come at a premium and to know that you won't have to go without some form of damage prevention in the game, I think is it's a great call by LSS. Yeah, exactly. Um, fourth on my list, uh, I've got the, the new wizard weapon, uh, the waning moon, um, I like this card for so many reasons. Uh, saying moon for two or moon for three uh, alone is is just excellent. Uh, but uh, waiting moon, uh, wizard weapon staff, uh, token rarity, uh, two-handed, and uh, reads once per turn instant, uh, two resources, deal two arcane damage to target hero, or if it's not your turn, instead deal three arcane damage to them, and activate this ability only if you've played a non-attack action card this turn. So um, this card, this weapon, very interesting design space. Um, I think it lends itself as a better tempo tool than potentially Kraken does. Uh, You don't necessarily get the same payoff Kraken has, but to be able to thread in, you know, an extra two arcane damage on your turn or three arcane damage on their turn, if you're able to get into that really specific tempo case, um... I, I think Waning Moon's going to see some uh, a lot of play in um, a lot of different wizard builds to start with. And uh, Kano is I I don't know if Kano wants this, um, but Icelander is it, is it is it a wizard? It's not an ice wizard. It's no, a wizard it's, weapon. It's just wizard weapon. Um, so oh man, Kano can play it. I don't know if Kano. I, I don't think Kano wants. Oh. Well. No, Aether Wildfire Kano doesn't. Aether Wildfire Kano still wants Crucible. Uh, but uh, mm, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you really have to do a different type of, of wizard build on Kano to really capitalize on Waning Moon, I feel like. Because that, you know, that, that Aether Wildfire build really wants to just stack stack that damage over the, oh, you know, over the AV, it feels like, with the uh, Crucible. Uh yeah. Um yeah, exactly. So, um Waiting Moon um I'm excited about it. I'm curious to see uh what builds it's going to slot into. Moving on to my uh my last card uh, on my list and I kind of I hummed and hawed over this one, jumped uh, around between a few different cards. And in reality, all these cards are kind of interesting sideboard cards I think at most. Uh, I was back and forth between Erase Face, Vipox, and Fog Down. Um, but I, I think I want to talk about Erase Face a little bit. Um, this is a generic M. Uh, two for six, uh, pitches for red, uh, blocks for two. And it reads, when Erase Face hits a hero, uh, cards and tokens they own lose all class and talent types until the end of their next turn. And when I first read this card, I, I really had to kind of wrap my head around what that on hit clause meant uh but the reality is it actually it shuts off so many things like fusion cards 
you can't fuse anymore mm-hmm. um you know like in a, okay. let's say so example nothing is ice right nothing, nothing is, is nothing is yeah nothing is talented whatsoever um like let's say in a boost mech deck all of a sudden your your mech cards aren't mech cards so you can't boost any you can't successfully boost anymore um yep yep in wizard if you're trying to go you know kano's trying to go in for the kill off of uh storm striders all of a sudden their wizard cards aren't wizard cards anymore and they can't activate Mm -hmm. half of the stuff you know like sonic boom doesn't matter uh lessons and lava doesn't tutor like there's a ton of things that stop working in in kano uh if a race face hits like i think a race face is one of those cards that I find with a lot of really impactful flesh and blood cards, they're always really subtle. Like it's at at first you read it and you're like, like crown of seeds, for example, like I, I never expected crown of seeds to be as impactful as it, as it ended up becoming. Um, and I, yeah, like I, I, I do wonder if a race face could be become one of those that, you know, just interesting tech cards for shutting down. um, reveal effects or you know just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's probably yeah so many use cases for it that we can't even think of yet yeah it definitely is um it it's a great tech card i think it's gonna um uh there's more uh illusionists uh it loses uh your cards aren't uh can't get go again if you're prism yeah Uh, right you're your yeah, illusionist, your illusion illusionist attacks never exist. Yep. Um, and there's a, there's a like there's a million cases right there. Like every hero has has cards that care about what it's what it's doing like that. And uh, you're just you're just out of luck if you get hit with a race face. Yeah. Um, though I will say on to go back to me humming and hawing over what card I actually wanted for my fifth card. The, the flavor text on Vipox is very um, tasteful. Like the, it's a quote, uh, only fools resort to force. And then the, the quote, the person being quoted is the spider. And then like the art is like this guy with like this, it's almost like an Oni mask or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. clearly poisoning a tea or something like that. And, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of flavor going on there. I mean, there's a lot of flavor going on on the Ares face as well, with just like the art, like that's mind bending art. <laughs> just, just I punched someone so hard, I broke the space time continuum on their face. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know. Is, is he punching him? Is he like casting a spell or something? He's just ex- he is he is erasing his face with a fist. That is what is happening there. One capacity or another. But that's yeah. uh, that's my list, or I guess my, yeah, my my list of, in- there, there's so many interesting cards in Uprising. I'm so excited for this set. Uh, I, I, I know we've already been kind of dabbling in it for a couple weeks, but like I'm so excited to draft it. I'm so excited to see what comes out of constructed decks. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- this, yeah. This set, I think, is going to be a hit in a way that definitely Tails wasn't. Yeah, I do think that there's a lot more in here for a lot of different heroes. Like a race face, that's going to go in Brute because it's a six attack. Yeah, A little depressing that the Majestic six attack doesn't block for three. Mm. 
Uh, there has also been talk of uh, Brothers in Arms, the blue, uh, being uh, potentially popular in at least Oldham. Um, but uh, it might be a Guardian card moving forward. Oh, yeah. uh, Oldham, Oldham can definitely use the... <clears throat> Oldham can definitely use uh, the ability to defend with that pitch, you know, pitch another blue. And now you have brothers crown and rampart paid for with one card, right? You have that, that resource that uh, would otherwise be floating. Uh, Now you have another defensive thing to sink it into, which is just what Oldham needed. Um, Just more defense that he can resource. Yeah. More, more defense. Um, all right, let's uh, wrap it up then. Uh, we'll take care of some plugs here. You can find uh, the Combat Chain at our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube channel, uh, the Combat Chain Podcast. You can find us streaming on all audio platforms where available. Uh, you can support us on our Patreon, uh, available in the links below. Uh, you know, we have uh, we basically asking one year uh come support us uh we're working on scaling up our patreon content uh coming up as we speak uh yours truly is uh working uh on the beginnings of another long deck guide uh you will likely see a condensed version on youtube and um and an extended version uh on on our patreon uh so uh, something to look forward to there. Uh, you can also uh, help support the podcast by uh, using our TCG Player affiliate link uh, when you are buying your cards for Uprising uh, coming out in the U.S. Uh, July 1 and everywhere else uh, June 24th, uh, which is at the end of the week. So that'll be very interesting to see. Um yeah, I think that that does it. You can find uh you can find the Combat Chain podcast on Twitter at the Combat Chain. You can find myself at Pat Smashgood and you can find Adam at Fom Tulery TCG. Uh so that's going to that's going to do it for this episode and uh until next week we're closing, closing the, the Combat, combat Chain. chain. Some moves.